nothing. We are behind. Super behind. <laughs> like recording the day that I'm going to edit and put it out. Yeah. So. Sorry. Life's been tough, man. It's just been a heavy schedule. Yeah. And uh, that's about it. Not for me. I am I just sit at home. But <laughs> <clears throat> for Sammy. Yeah. I just like with the week off that I took to help y- with you, mm-hmm. um, I think we tried more to focus on your healing and like taking care of you versus like, oh, we have to do all of these things. Yeah. Which is probably good because now we're like, yeah. it wasn't at like not doing. Right things but then yeah we're normally a week ahead on this and so we kind of used that week that we get ahead with and and didn't do anything but release an episode and then we fucked ourselves pretty much but um, But that's okay yeah get ahead yeah and then it's like summertime and like some of my coworkers are getting sick so i'm having to help cover some shifts and so it's been making for some very long days and i have a very long week that i'm working yeah and we keep saying oh we'll record when you get home at 3 a.m and then i'm like exhausted absolutely not i'm like tired from my shift or like something bad happened and i just don't feel like recording because i would just be a mopey sad right bitch so sorry we're really sorry not that sorry i'm extremely sorry because it's my fault it's not it's nobody's fault it's not a fault thing it's just a scheduling thing i just i just I feel bad we're fine. because i made this commitment to do this and i fell through and it makes me feel bad but it's but supposed to be a fun thing that's and true. not a like burden it's not a burden i enjoy doing this it just makes me feel bad for the people that do listen that we're not um following through with what we said we would it just makes me feel bad also we're humans that's true. Sammy forgets that sometimes that <laughs> she is a human being who, <laughs> and not a robot. <laughs> I wish I was. My life would be so much easier. Hey, Handling nine one one calls, not being affected at all. That sounds great. Right. Hmm. Um. So after last week's heavy, heavy episode, oh my god, I got a little lighter. And if yeah. it's not your jam, then it's not your jam. Come back next week. But maybe next week will be your jam. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, but we're going to be talking about uh, the space race because that was a major game changer for the whole world, really. Yeah. Um, including us, obviously. So, yeah, I hate to say it. We didn't choose this. I don't hate to say it. I just hate that the ending has the United States winning and we're in the United States and we're talking about it. Right. It makes it seem like we're very U.S. focused, it depend- but it impacts well, it depends the depends on what you would consider winning. As. That's true. It was very back and forth between, yeah. between the countries involved. So, yeah, I don't know. Either way, it ended with all kinds of advancements that yeah. we gain from today. Yeah, so. true. Okay. Yeah. Ready? Let's go. Okay. So uh, you can't really talk about Space Race without first talking about the Cold War because it was a gigantic pissing match <laughs> uh, between us and Russia or the USSR at the time, which spurred, as men do. <laughs> <laughs> Damn men. It just spurred on um, all this advancement, which is good in this case, but... Um, also, people died, so... A lot of people died. So, was it good? And dogs and monkeys, so... I know, that makes me so sad. Yeah. I don't know why. <clears throat> why in the world would we make a spaceship that, like, we have the technology to make something go up in the air. Why don't we make another thing to go inside to make it fly instead of a dog? I don't know. This Sorry, I just also, screamed like, dog into the microphone. This was also, like, the 60s. Uh, 50s can you imagine 60s. little Ronnie going into space? She'd be she so scared. She would not do well. She'd be so scared. She is not a dog that is rated for space. <laughs> or anything besides no. 
house. House. <laughs> um, so the Americans and Soviets, like right after World War II, started experimenting with small rockets. Um, they were doing this a little bit before World War Two, also, um, but the technology was very, very, like, archaic at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they, after the war, both the U.S. and the USSR got custody of the German rocket program. So the Germans were developing, like, the V-2s, all this new technology, and after the war, the U.S. and the Soviets basically took everything they had, including... All the scientists that were developing all these uh, rockets. <clears throat> Was it kind of like an FU to Germany for doing their shit during World War II? FU. Yes. <laughs> Humongous middle finger. Um, so they took all those assets, which they used to leverage development of their own missiles. Mm-hmm. Um, this was dubbed Operation Paperclip here in the U.S., and that's where we brought all these German rocket scientists. We basically didn't charge them with any war crimes, didn't do anything like that, and just accumulated them and used them to, like, build off of what they were already working on to make our own uh, rocket program. Yeah. Which is crazy. Oh, interesting. That's, like, its own uh, podcast. It's a wild story. So, the two former allies, the U.S. and the USSR, um, very quickly after World War II, decided that they didn't like each other anymore. Um, Politically, (laughs) there was military tension... And that became what we know as the Cold War, which lasted from 1947, literally right after the war, um, to all the way to 1991, which is bananas. That's insane. Yeah. So that wasn't just, like, Russia and the U.S. It was, like, Russia and all of its, like, allies and the U.S. and all of our allies. So it was, like, a much bigger conflict than we tend to see it as. Yeah. Um, so, and it all hinged pretty much around rockets. Which is weird to me. (laughs) (laughs) We want the rockets. No, we want rockets. Yeah, we talk about how it's like a dick measuring contest and it's like almost quite literally a dick measuring contest. (laughs) Like a rocket measuring contest, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Literally a dick. (laughs) Um, So the Soviets, they suffered at least 27 million casualties during World War II, which is huge because Nazi Germany actually tried to invade Russia. Uh, in 1941, and the Soviet Union was pretty wary of the U.S., which until late 1949 was the only country that had any kind of atomic weapons. So they were scared of us, and they were worried that we were going to do something stupid. Depending on how you see it, we didn't, because only we only hit Japan. Yeah. But depends on how you look at that now. We also had a way bigger air force than the Soviet Union, and... We maintained advanced air bases near Soviet uh, territory. 1947, Stalin ordered the development of intercontinental ballistic missiles, which we will from now on call ICBMs, which we still use today. And this was directly to counter what they perceived as a threat from us having atomics. And that basically was like a missile or something that was going to go up in the air. Yeah, so it could go from one continent to another continent. It's basically just a missile that could travel huge distances that were not really oh, so it was seen like before. So they used... wouldn't have to go uh they could launch them from land and arc over to whatever their target was. Target was instead of having to have these missiles or bombs on planes and fly over. Which was the basis of all of World War 2 air uh, right, right, conflict. Right. So that was big and we still use those. Uh, yeah, they developed 
the R7 Simjorka rocket, which was like a major advance from a German design. Uh, they took that and they built it and successfully tested it on August 21st of 1957 and became the first uh, fully operational ICBM in the world the next month. It was later used to launch the first satellite into space and different derivatives of it launched all the piloted Soviet spacecraft. So this was like the first big rocket advancement and that was huge. So they um, started it. Yeah, they totally started <laughs> Uh, the U.S. acquired a large number of V-2 rockets and recruited Werner von Braun, who was, like, one of the utmost, like, rocket scientists in Germany. Mm-hmm. Recruited him and his whole engineering team in Operation Paperclip, which I talked about before. And that team was sent to the Army's White Sands Proving Ground, which is in New Mexico, in 1945. I've gone there. Yeah. Those pic- that picture that... Mm-hmm. Yep. White Sands. Isn't that wild? It's beautiful yeah super like nuclear so oh hell yeah you're probably i probably have cancer yep (laughs) i mean it's open to the public yeah it shouldn't be nuclear if it's open to the public oh no Yep. i'm going to die oliver there's um oh what is it some john wayne movie that filmed in an area i don't know if it was this area or an area similar to it um but they used like the sand on sets and things like that and like a huge percentage of them died of cancer which they contributed to this one movie filming in this like extremely nuclear area anyways i should get tested (laughs) anyway so they went there and they started to like put together all the captured v2s and started a program of launching them and showing like american engineers how they worked and how they were built and all of them so they were just teaching them up and then these tests led to the first photos of earth from space which is pretty cool that is cool and the first two-stage rocket which was the wac corporal v2 combination in 1949 the german rocket team was then moved to fort bliss which was the army's new uh redstone arsenal which is in huntsville alabama in 1950 and then the team developed the army's first operational medium-range ballistic missile which was not it couldn't go as far as the the intercontinental Mm -hmm. okay and then kind of like the russians did they took that rocket and made derivatives of it which launched both of america's first satellites and the first piloted mercury space missions and it became the basis for both the jupiter and saturn family of rockets so both kind of neck and neck at this point. We're mm-hmm. making rockets and then we're turning these rockets into things that launch other things up into space instead of launching bombs towards other countries. Hold on. It, it, am I following this track right? Th- they wanted the space race so that they could kill each other to launch things in the air and kill people, perhaps. That was never explicitly stated That's as a goal. I thought, but, here my naivety is like, um, I think we would just want to go to space because why the fuck not? Like, that seems like a yeah. great goal. Like, who's like the first move. one to space? But like, right. I see now. It's, it's like, also, we're going to put these things in space and creep you out and show you how big our dick is. And show you like, if we wanted to, you know. Do anything we do could. Do anything from space, we could do it from space. At any moment. Right. What jerks. I know. It's a big old like mind fuck. It really That's is. That's all it is. It's like a gigantic pump fake from both. And imagine how countries. terrifying that would have been, because, like, now, like, we oh, have like satellites. Sputnik? 
Yeah. yeah. We've got scared a, the shit out of people, and it could do dick squat. Like. It still scares people. The other day, like, what, fucking Elon Musk let out his satellites or whatever the hell from Florida, and, like, they were, they were traveling in, a, like, a line in the atmosphere, and people were calling in to our police department, being like, oh, there's something in the sky. It's like, I don't care. Okay. Cool. I, police can't do anything about yeah, things in want, the sky. What do you want me they to can't do? Shoot, shoot it down? <laughs> Fire department's ladder doesn't reach Literally. that high. <laughs> like, I call NASA. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it was must. This shit freaks people it out. It's weird. In 1957, we developed the Atlas A, which was the first successful ICBM from the Americans. Its upgraded version, the Atlas D, later served as a nuclear ICBM. Oh my god, you're kidding. Nope. And as the orbital launch vehicle for Project Mercury and remote-controlled agenda target vehicle, which was used in Project Gemini. So, we've kind of edged up, right? Right. They've got ICBMs. We've got ICBMs that carry a nuclear device. So... Russia came back with Sputnik, <laughs> a man named Sergei, there he is, Sergei Korolev received word about the U.S. 1956 Jupiter-C test, and he mistakenly thought that it was a satellite mission that failed. Um, so he had plans to get his own satellite in orbit, and he, like, expedited that. He's like, oh shit, they got a satellite, we gotta have a satellite. So in 1957, um... He sought and received permission from the Council of Ministers to build a Prestige Sputnik. It's the PS1. The PS1. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, which was just like a simple satellite. Um, so this sa- simple satellite, as um, he describes it, had two radio transmitters, which operated on different short radio frequencies and the ability to detect if a meteoroid were to get into its pressure hole. So if a meteor hit it, it would know that. And the ability to detect the density of the Earth's thermosphere, which seems totally useless to me. Yeah, I was just like, what? <laughs> That's all Sputnik could do. It could communicate. Uh, it could figure out if something hit it. And it could... Uh, I also can figure out when something hits me. <laughs> yeah, and it could figure out the density of the Earth's thermosphere. That's it. So Sputnik goes up. The signals of Sputnik 1 continued for 22 days, and this was the first artificial satellite to be launched into Earth's orbit. So it's, is it still circling today? I don't think so. Oh, that's disappointing. The U.S., even though... this, I think the Russians probably, like, hyped it up and didn't really tell the U.S. what it could do. Oh, right. Because it couldn't really do much. But if they don't say anything, like... That leaves us to our own imagination. It's like, like what is like, it doing up there? It's in the sky. Yeah, so people Watch here it. were super freaked out, and it was like a mix of, oh, fuck, they beat us. Like, that's a space race, they beat us, and fuck, we need to one-up them. Um, and there was, which was nothing. And fears <laughs> of its true capabilities, again, nothing. Nothing. Um, on January 31st of 1958, nearly four months after the launch of Sputnik 1, the U.S. successfully launched, launched its own uh, first satellite on a four-stage Juno-1 rocket derived from the Army's Redstone missile, the f- one we talked about way back, from Cape Canaveral. The satellite was called Explorer 1, and it carried a micrometeorite gauge and a Geiger counter, basically, so it could detect radiation. Oh. Yeah. That's interesting. Again, 
couldn't really do much. Yeah. None of them are doing much. They just float around the earth. I wonder what they were, like, thinking at the blueprints, being like, what should go on here? We need something to detect radiation. I think that's smart. That's kind of clever. Because if you're, like, planning on sending animals, people up there, it's probably a good idea to know how much radiation you're blasting these people through. That's true. So... And, like, what kind of protection your manned vehicles are going to have to have against that. So I I think that was smarter than the fucking density. I mean, I don't don't know. know. I'm not a scientist. (laughs) I know, like, if it's more dense, it takes more power to go through. But, like, if you got that far, like, just give it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't know. Yep. Make it simple. It's not rocket science. It is. Oh. Um, So it passed in and out of the Earth's encompassing radiation belt that was the point because it wanted to measure the radiation and it proved what dr james van allen who was a space scientist at the university of iowa theorized basically went through this like belt that they found of radiation that surrounds the earth and so he basically theorized that this existed and that was i don't know i guess a good source of information for people who were gonna send people into space oh cool i suppose yeah um, Van Allen was also the man who designed and built the satellite instrumentation of Explorer 1. The satellite measured three different things, cosmic rays and radiation levels, the temperature inside the spacecraft, important, and the frequency of collisions with micrometeorites. All okay. important things if you're planning on sending people or dogs. Yeah. Or monkeys. Satellite had no memory for data storage, so it had it was just continuously sending this data down back to Earth, and then we had to record it back down here. Yeah. So, we get our first satellite. Sputnik is up there, too. And on April 2nd of 1958, President Eisenhower uh, reacted to the Soviet space lead in launching Sputnik by recommending that the U.S. Congress... Um, Basically develop, like, a civilian agency to direct, like, space activities. So it, it wasn't going to be, like, a military thing anymore. It was going to be all civilian-led. Military people come in and do whatever they do, but it was its own thing and not a branch of the military. So they signed into law the National Aeronautics and Space Act that turned the National Advisory Committee on Aeronautics into the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, a.k.a. NASA. On October 21st of 1959, Eisenhower approved the transfer of the Army's remaining space-related activities to NASA, so everything just went over to NASA. The Redstone Arsenal became NASA's, um, and all the Saturn rocket family went to NASA. Mm. Good things. Mm-hmm. So then, the U.S. and the USSR decided they're going to send some animals into space to figure out how safe the environment was before they would send the first people. Oh, send people? Just... Dogs. <laughs> so the USSR used dogs uh, for this purpose, and they would get these dogs from, like, the coldest, most, like, shitty parts of Russia because they could withstand the most. And, I mean, maybe it's taking them from a shitty life to maybe a little bit better life for a while. And the U.S. used monkeys and apes. And the USSR sent the dog Laika uh, <laughs> into orbit on Sputnik 2 on November 3rd of 1957, for what was intended to be a 10-day flight. Uh, this was the first dog, um, and they didn't have the technology to bring her back 
to Earth safely. So they knew that she was going to die up there. Um, the government reported that she died when the oxygen ran out, but in October of 2002, her true case of death, cause of death was reported as stress and overheating on the fourth orbit due to failure of the air conditioning system. So that sucks. At a Moscow press conference in 1998, Oleg Gazenko, a senior Soviet scientist involved in the project, said that, uh, quote, the more time passes, the more I'm sorry about it. We didn't learn enough from the mission to justify the death of a dog. So that's good, in hindsight. <laughs> Sammy looks really upset right I now. I don't like this anymore. <laughs> I changed our minds. Let's go back to learning about how people died. Okay. On August 19th of 1960, the dogs Velka and Stroka were sent into orbit aboard Sputnik 5, and they were safely returned, which is awesome. And soon after, the Americans sent the chimpanzee Ham on a suborbital flight of the Mercury capsule and the Mer- on the Mercury Redstone 2, and recovered him safely on January 31st of 1961. Just saying, Russian animal names versus U.S. animal names. <laughs> Like a Belka stroke ham. <laughs> I think we should name our next dog ham. I would love to name a dog after food. Yeah? Yes. Ham. ham. Um, ramen. Pancake. <laughs> waffle. There's this TikTok that I follow of this girl French who fry. finds um, feral cats and like finds them and then fixes them and then releases them. Mm-hmm. But until they're like kitten, like. Yeah. They like take care of some of them sometimes because they're sick and she names them after chips so she's (laughs) like oh doritos hi furritos all my little lays that's (laughs) so cute i've always wanted to do that i don't know why i didn't do that with bear yeah you fucked up no i don't know what kind of food she would be a turd sandwich wow (laughs) bear mom's mean she's fine like she's sleeping um, the chimpanzee Enos was launched on Mercury Atlas V on November 29th, 1961, into what was supposed to be a three-orbit flight. However, the mission was aborted after two because the capsule overheated and a malfunctioning avoidance conditioning test uh, subjected him to 76 electrical shocks. I don't think he lived. Super shitty. Poor boy. Agreed. Um, NASA selected a new group of what they called astronauts, which, uh, comes from the Greek, uh, words for star sailor. That's kind of cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, candidates from the Navy, the Air Force, and Marine test pilots, um, it narrowed this down to a group of seven, uh, candidates for the program. So they were like, we're sending people up into space. They designed a capsule and... Astronaut training began immediately, working towards preliminary suborbital flights and on the Redstone missile, um, followed by orbital flights on the Atlas. Each flight series would start unpiloted and then carry non-human primate and then finally people. So, I think that's a good progression. So they would teach primates how to use these unpiloted. So but like, then they why were just would we in put there. chimpanzees in there? They were just in there. Did they have anything to get them entertained? I don't know. Like, that's so sad to just be like, here's this little small space you're going to be in. Yeah. I don't know. Good luck, little animal that you don't know what's going on. I'm unsure. Oliver, what would you do? They did, like, test... They trained them, sort of. Oh, it makes me sad. Like, they made sure they could withstand what was going on. So it wasn't, like, brand new. It wasn't like taking Castle right now and being like, "Mm, good luck. Basically. No. (laughs) 
On April 12, 1961, the USSR surprised the world by launching Yuri Gagarin into a single 108-minute orbit around Earth in a craft called the Volst Vostok 1. They dubbed him the first cosmonaut, which roughly translated from Russian and Greek as Sailor of the Universe. Oh, not the stars. Even cooler, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, his capsule was flown in automatic mode, so he didn't do anything because they didn't know, like, the doctors didn't know what would happen to a human in the weightlessness of space, but he was given an envelope containing the code that would unlock manual control if an emergency happened. So, like, he pretty much just chilled, and then if something shitty went down and he was conscious and able to, like, deal with it, then yeah. he had the code to be able to do that, and the training to be able to do that. Hmm. Um, he became a national hero of the Soviet Union and, uh, like, a worldwide celebrity because he was the first human in space. They had parades for him. They have a national holiday for him, which is April 12th. It was a whole thing. The first woman, Valentina Tereshkova, was launched into space on the Vostok 6 on June 16th of 1963, and it was a, just a huge media propaganda stunt, um, possibly a medical experiment, which is... Ugh, to be like, cringy. how can your womanly body right. handle these right. things? <laughs> does it just come, come out of all of your orifices? <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> So they launch her up, and she was the only one to fly of a small group of female parachutist factory workers. Unlike the male cosmonauts, who were actually military pilots, they just sent these factory worker females up, um, and she was chosen by the head of cosmonaut training because he read a tabloid article about the Mercury 13 group in the U.S., which was a group of women wanting to become astronauts and got the idea that NASA was actually doing that, which they were not. <laughs> God. Literally, like, this whole thing is just like, oh, I heard the U.S. is doing this, so we gotta do that, like, and it, none of it was ever really true. May 5th of 1961, Alan Shepard became the first American in space, and he launched in a ballistic trajectory on Mercury Redstone 3 in a spacecraft he named Freedom 7. That's like a whole sentence. Right. Um, he didn't achieve orbit like Gregarian because it was a ballistic trajectory mm -hmm. and not an actual... I, don't, I just don't get the point. Uh, he was the first person to exercise manual control over his spacecraft's altitude and retro rocket firing. So I guess that's the one up that they had. They're like, we're getting you the keys to this yeah. thing. <laughs> you, don't go too high. Yeah. Don't you, you dare go into orbit like we'll that. We'll keep your driver's license if you do. <laughs> <laughs> Report you to the police. <laughs> um, so he... Returned successfully, and he was, like, Gagarian, uh, was celebrated as a national hero, had a bunch of parades, uh, got the NASA Distinguished Service Medal from John F. Kennedy, yada yada yada, all that stuff. Uh, Virgil, known as Gus Grissom, repeated that suborbital flight on Liberty Bell 7. On July 21st of 1961, nothing new happened there. And then almost a year after the Soviet Union put a human into orbit, astronaut John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth on February 20th of 1962. His Mercury Atlas 6 mission completed three orbits in the Friendship 7. I spacecraft. hate our names. Like, Freedom, <laughs> Liberty Bell, Friendship. Literally. Like, oh my god, shut the fuck Literally. up. Name it, like, something badass. Like. I know. 
I don't know. It's fucking lame. Um, so he did that and splashed down safely in the Atlantic Ocean after loose heat shield. So there were some issues, but he was fine. Huh. On February 23rd of 1962, he was also awarded by JFK with the NASA Distinguished Service Medal. So they're just they're making up medals now? Yep. They're like, this is the NASA one. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> Good job going into space. <laughs> The U.S. Uh, launched three more Mercury flights after Glenn's. That was Aurora 7 on May 24th of 1962 and Sigma 7 on October 3rd of 1962. And that doubled the amount of orbits that Glenn did. And then Faith 7 on May 15th of 63 did 22 orbits, uh, which was 32.4 hours and the maximum capability of that spacecraft. So that's cool. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. We go from Aurora... Yeah. To Sigma. To Faith. To Faith. Yeah. Super lame. We were going somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then we went back. <laughs> like, mm, Faith. Next one's going to be Hope. Ugh. God. <laughs> NASA at first intended to launch one more mission, which it would extend the spacecraft's endurance to three days, but that wasn't going to beat the Soviet record, so they're like, fuck it. So then they decided to shift their focus over to Project Gemini. Project Gemini. <laughs> I'm just going to talk super briefly about Project Gemini because it's kind of important, but also, like, not as important as other things. Um, Project Gemini was essentially NASA's second human spacecraft, carried a two astronaut crew, and the two Gemini crews and 16 individual astronauts flew low Earth orbit missions during 1965 and 1966. So in the last year, they were nice. finally doing their thing. So then we're going to pick up with Apollo in 1966 after years of work by an international team of scientists, engineers, as we've learned from what Jack just talked about. NASA conducted the first unmanned Apollo mission uh, that tested the structural integrity and of the proposed vehicle and spacecraft combination. So they were trying to do this not putting lives in danger. Thank fucking God. Then on January 27th of 1967, unfortunately, what is known as NASA's first major tragedy struck at the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral when a fire broke out during a manned launch pad test of Apollo 1 spacecraft and Saturn rocket. The astronauts that were there, Gus Grissom, who we just talked about, Ed White, and Roger Chaffe, or Chaff, um, were killed in the fire. So basically, there was this huge fire, and they just unfortunately burned to death. But I'm probably they probably inhaled mm-hmm. and died that way first. At least that's what I would like to think. Um, it, fun fact: I think if I remember correctly, uh, Apollo One is still somewhere. They have never used so it ever weird. since, but it's somewhere. I read that it has been moved around a lot, but like it's yeah. somewhere. And like people, at first they were gonna destroy it, but people were like, "No history!" Right. So they're keeping it and everything like that. I just texted you a picture of Laika. She looks like Ron. Oh, no. Why would you do that? Because <laughs> Ron, you could be a space dog. She does, right? Look at how happy she I was. Know. See? That's a good thing. No, it's not because she died of over overheating. Oh, trying to convince Jack to adopt an elderly blind dog named Bradley, but he won't let me. No. Anyways. Despite the setback of losing three astronauts and burning of, like, a whole building, uh, NASA and its apparently thousands of employees at that time kept going, and in October of 1968, Apollo 7, so we've skipped six aircrafts, apparently, from 
they are to now, um, uh, was the first manned Apollo mission. It orbited Earth and successfully tested many of the sophisticated systems that needed to conduct a moon journey and successful landing. That December, Apollo 8... I feel like we're really, they're just like, hey, we're going to create this ship for this specific reason. Ditch it. Create a new one. Ditch it. Create another one. Ditch it. I mean, I get it. They're making advances and changes, but I mean, like. Why would you build a whole new Maybe they're not. That's what I'm hoping. Maybe they're building on to or changing And they're just changing the name. And they're changing the name to let everybody know, hey, this is the one that can land on It's like the iPhone. It's like you're updating it, but it's like, we're going to go back to Apollo 8. (laughs) It took three astronauts to the far side of the moon and back. So I'm assuming that's the side that's the farthest away from no us. Oh shit. <laughs> not the, the near side. Thing. It's not the far side. It's the dark side. Um, so that brings us to the ever famous Apollo 11 crew. Um, they were announced to the public January of 1969. Uh, NASA's chief of the astronaut office, that sounds weird, um, Donald Kent, he goes by Deke Slayton, uh, chose an all-veteran team, which basically is just people that have been with NASA for a long time. Yeah, no noobs. Uh, no noobs in this one. So <laughs> we know Neil Armstrong. He was uh, in Gemini 8, Edwin Buzz Aldrin, Gemini 12, and Michael Collins, Gemini 10. Gemini really probably affected them so they were like you guys were the best of the best during that gemini season like mm-hmm. let's go uh so by the way neil armstrong was a 38 year old civilian research pilot and he was selected to command the mission so i yes. thought that was pretty dope Super um dope. So Armstrong's responsibilities included landing on the moon alongside Aldrin, uh, who was the pilot of the lunar model Eagle that was attached to it all. Um, Huh? Module? Yeah, sorry. I read that totally wrong. Module. Uh, Collins would remain in lunar orbit around the command module, Columbia. Uh, Collins was originally supposed to be a backup pilot for Apollo 11, but his spot on the flight sequence was moved after required surgery on his back, which forced him off the prime crew for Apollo 8. So What a bummer. I know. <laughs> oh, shit. He uh, apparently is now just, you know, orbiting he around. He remembers the third man on No, it's so sad. Um, so March of 1969, Apollo 9 tested the lunar module for the first time while in Earth. Oh my God. Earth orbit. Earth orbit. (laughs) (laughs) While in Earth orbit, um, that May, the three astronauts of Apollo 10 took the first complete Apollo spacecraft around the moon in a dry run for the scheduled July landing mission. So it was like, this is the last chance to see if there's anything that we need before... We just try to come back. So we're going to go on a timeline of what happened that day on July 16th. It was around 9.32 in the morning, whatever, Eastern Daylight Time? Daytime time? Eastern. So Eastern. So if that matters, it's 9.32 somewhere in America, and the world was watching. The Apollo 11 took off from Kennedy Space Center with astronauts, like I said, Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins. After traveling 240,000 miles in 76 hours, that sounds like a lot, (laughs) Apollo 11 entered the lunar orbit on July 19th. Uh, The next day at 1.46 p.m., the lunar module Eagle, manned by Armstrong and Aldrin, separated from the command module where Collins stayed. 
the two hours later, so around 3 p.m., early, almost 4 p.m., the eagle began its descent to the lunar surface. As the lander approached the moon, Armstrong took over the controls when he saw that the computer was guiding them to a boulder-filled landing zone. That's the problem. Yeah, so he literally was like, oh my gosh, we're gonna die. Well, let's go over let's here. Let's fucking go. So, um... About 4.14, 4.17, I found different sources saying 14, other sources saying 17. I mean, really, three minutes isn't that much of a big deal, I think. Either way, the craft touched down uh, after 4 p.m. on the southwestern edge of the Sea of Tranquility with only 25 seconds of fuel left. Jesus. Yeah, literally. Christ. So that sucks. But also, thank God. Armstrong immediately radioed to Mission Control in Houston the now-famous message, Houston, Tranquility Base here, the Eagle has landed. Uh, capsule communicator and astronaut Charles Duke responded from Earth, stating, Roger, Tranquility, we copy you on the ground. We got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. <laughs> long-winded. I know. <laughs> At 10.39 p.m., five hours ahead of original schedule, Armstrong opened the hatch of the lunar module to get out. He's like, meh, let's just do this. I gotta pee. Basically, they were ahead of snow. <laughs> gotta pee. <laughs> let's just pee on the moon. Yeah, they just pee in their suits. Yeah, but, like, not, like... Probably Why better you... standing, I would think. Anyways, they were ahead of schedule because originally they were supposed to sleep before because they basically were, like... You guys need some rest before we go into, like, any, like, outside... It's like Christmas morning. They're like, I just can't no, sleep. No, literally, that's what they <laughs> said. They were like, we were just too excited. We had to go outside. <laughs> um, so, as Armstrong made his way down the module's ladder, a television camera attached to the craft recorded his progress and beamed the signal back to Earth, where hundreds of millions of people watched in obvious anticipation. Then, um... About 10.56, Armstrong finally stepped off the ladder and planted his foot on the moon's powdery surface. He spoke the famous quote, which later contended as slightly garbled by his microphone, it was supposed to be, that's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. So we leave the A out. A-man. They basically just say a small step for man. A-man. Get it right. <laughs> just kidding. I don't really care. It's letter. Um, Aldrin then joined him on the moon's surface 19 minutes later, and together they took photographs of the terrain, planted the U.S. flag, and ran a few specific scientific tests and spoke with Richard Nixon, who was then president through Houston, so like radio. By 11 a.m., Nope. One eleven a.m. on July 21st, both astronauts were back in the lunar module and the hatch was closed. The two men slept finally. And at one fifty-four p.m., the Eagle finally began to go back to the command module where Collins was waiting. Poor guy. Could you Did imagine? They gas? They had 25 yeah. seconds left of gas left. Yeah. I imagine, though, Earth's or, or Moon's orbit isn't that like pulling so maybe once they like got into a direction they were kind of like catch us i don't know honestly but they made it back um among the items that they left on the moon's surface was a plaque that read here men from the planet earth first set foot on the moon july 1969 a.d we came in peace for all mankind because everyone can read english it's Um, probably covered at this point totally (laughs) at 5 35 p.m Armstrong and Aldrin, like I said, successfully docked the 
command module and rejoined Collins, and at 12.56 a.m. on July 22nd, the Apollo 11 began its way back home and then eventually safely landed in the Pacific Ocean at 12.50 p.m. on July 24th. So it was uh, almost a 10-day excursion. Um, There would be five more successful lunar landing missions and one unplanned lunar swing by. The Apollo 13 had to abort its lunar landing due to technical difficulties. The last men to walk on the moon were astronauts Eugene Kernan, who died in 2017, and Harrison Schmidt, who is still alive. Uh, They were on the Apollo 17 mission, and they left the lunar surface on December 14, 1972. The Apollo program was a costly and labor-intensive endeavor, uh, involving an estimated 400,000 engineers, Good technicians, Lord. and scientists, and costs about $24 billion, which is about $100 billion in today's dollars. The expense was justified by uh, JFK's 1961 mandate to beat the Soviets on the moon, and after the feat was accomplished, ongoing missions lost their viability. So then they're like, well, we got to the moon, we did what we said we were going to do, now, now what? we're done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think Armstrong died. I don't remember. A lot of them. Basically, it was a long time ago. If they're yep. not dead, they're really old. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I just wanted to put in some uh, technology that we have now because of oh, the cool. space race. I love it. Um, GPS. Oh, yeah. You were telling me about this. Let's see. Infrared ear thermometers, which we use every day now because of COVID. Bluetooth. Oh. Infrared ear monitors. Oh, ear like thermometers. Thermometers. I thought you said ear monitors, and I was like, "Oh, like little headphones, cute." No, nope. nope. Bluetooth. <laughs> um, artificial limbs have drastically improved using advanced space programs, shock absorbing materials, and robotics. That's pretty cool. Oh, so like what runners can use if they don't have a leg? Yep. That's cool. Or anybody who doesn't have a leg. <laughs> okay. Just runners. <laughs> Literally in anybody. my head, I was just picturing a the person running. Run. Okay, yeah. sorry, non-runners. Um, modern CAT scans and radiography. Oh, not like cats. No. They could do scans of cats, I'm sure. But CT scans. <laughs> um, Let's see. Consumer products like wireless headsets. There you go. There's my your, Bluetooth. It's not Bluetooth, though. <laughs> um, LED lighting. Portable cordless vacuums. Freeze-dried food, memory foam, scratch-resistant eyeglasses, um, modern laptops. Oh, so what we're using right now. What we're using right now. Pretty cool. Didn't you say that GPS was made by a woman? Yeah. Dare say a woman? Dare say. Her period did not keep her. (laughs) I think a woman also made Wi-Fi or something like that. Like some shit that we use every Mm -hmm. single day and like love to death, but we're like, oh, it was made by a woman? I know, right? Ew. Um, Rose butters. Let's see what else. Uh, the stuff that they put on roads to de-ice them. They put stuff on roads to de-ice them. Yeah, that's why your car gets all like crummy sometimes in the in the winter time. Gets that Rock build salt? up. Kind of, mag chloride mm. specifically. Um, smoke and carbon monoxide detectors. Modern firefighting equipment widely used throughout the United States is based on NASA-developed lightweight fireproof materials. I'm not surprised. Like, no. when I went to the fire training the, a couple weeks ago, like, some of the things that they were talking about, I was just like, this seems like, wow. This seems yep. like a lot. <laughs> yep. Um, the list just goes on and on, but those are different things that developed from this, like, massive desire to, like, advance our technology to get to the moon, so... Pretty cool. Seems like a pissing contest, but ended with some 
pretty cool advancements. I wonder what other cool things have happened. A ton. Like, we are, we have been on Mars. Yeah. Rovers. Rovers? Red Rover? The International Space Station that has people on it all the time. That's real? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I thought that was like a joke. No. That's real? Yeah. Here's how much I hate space. (laughs) I, (laughs) it freaks me out. Fucking freaks me out. The thought of going out into the unknown, like not only unknown, but like the unknown that you can die in like less than a Uh second. Uh No. Like any, you want to scare me? Let's watch a scary movie about space. You want to watch Interstellar and freak me out? Let's do it. There's people on that? All the time. People are willingly living out in space? Yeah. Fuck that. No. I thought that was some fucking... It's like she's never been on TikTok. I'm not on space TikTok for a reason. Yeah, look, there's people on there. Oh my god, those poor souls. They like it. (laughs) No. That seems awful. This is the beginning of a horror movie. Oh my god, it's not. Yes, aliens take over. Oh gosh. So yeah. That's cool. You got anything else? Um, I do not. I just I hate that so many people like something that you don't like. That and also <laughs> like that dogs died, monkeys died. Right, right. Um, that we got all these advances because a bunch of guys couldn't keep it in their pants. Yep. And just Yeah, the motivation behind it is a little questionable <laughs> for sure. But I mean I'm glad we got some good shit out of it. Yeah. Agreed. Um, on that note, you can find us on Instagram at Who Knew Podcast. You can find us on Gmail at Who Knew Podcast 666 at gmail.com. Yeah. And we have a Patreon if you want to go hang out there. Yep. And other than that. That's that's it. Next yeah. week, we're going to have something that's also, it might not be uplifting. But, but it's, it's not like a lot of people dying. Yeah, it's not wow. like all the, all, oh shit. It's really fucked up. And it's sad. But it's not like Columbine fucked up. And it's not like Holocaust fucked up. Correct. So, um, yeah, it's fucked up in a different way, but it changed the world. And it's it's something that I think is still a work in progress and yep. is hopefully going to get better yeah. as time goes on, which I think it probably will. And then that'll be our last episode in this. Events that changed the world. Series. Yep. So, anything um, else? No, if you guys have any episode suggestions, please. It was nice to, like, kind of focus on, like, a topic for a while. And, like, Mm -hmm. going back to, like, oh, what should we do this week? It's going to be interesting because I feel like we were, I wouldn't say struggling, but it was, like, a little bit lack of motivation for, like, some topic ideas. Mm -hmm. So I found some good ones. 10 out of 10 recommend uh, Discovery Plus if you're into anything spooky or true crime, which we both are, obviously. (sighs) Um, That shit's fire. But and I've got so many things I'm gonna do. Start doing research about, and I'm gonna start it now. And so then you have can it get ahead ready. of me, so I can just have Fuck. it ready. I have homework I have to do. Yeah, like mm. a month and a half still. So butter's head smells so good today. That's good. So you want to say goodbye? No, he's sleeping. Okay. Bye.